Hi, Jackie. Hey, Ramona. How are you feeling? You were feeling a little under the weather earlier today. I know. I don't know if it's because I walked for seven kilometers or if I'm being exposed to the second round of COVID or if it's a head cold or I'm just tired. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, you seem to perk up with our guest this evening who was amazing. Yeah. Yes, he was. Like, I have to tell you, I I know that (laughs) we say this every single episode, but we had such a hard time (laughs) hooking up between COVID and schedules and March break. And I just like was so excited to have this conversation because it is so frigging critical. Yes. So we talk a lot about, you know, all how much access we need, the greater access we need to sexual and reproductive health products and services for us. And, and, but the other side of it is we've been scared because there's so much stuff out there right now for women. Like I feel like people are starting to catch wind that, oh, here's a really important market that we should be be marketing to. And now we don't know what's safe and not safe. And, um, you know, it's become a really difficult subject to navigate. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, when you talk about the products that are coming to market, it is exciting to know that, yes, finally, we are being acknowledged. But are we being acknowledged because brands want to get into our pants or do they want to get into our pockets? That's right. Um, And so we had an amazing guest on tonight, Dr. Nathan Garrett, and he is the CEO of the Intimate Wellness Institute of Virginia. He's a triple board certified urogynecologist and pelvic reconstructive surgeon. So he spends a lot of time below the belt. (laughs) And but his focus is on improving women's quality of life. And uh, with advanced, minimally invasive, functional and aesthetic pelvic surgery, which we learned about because that's one topic we didn't talk about was the aesthetic um, pelvic surgeries. Yeah. Um, so this was a, another topic that we sort of dove in today um, as sort of like a sidebar with Dr. Garrett. But I just have to say, I was so impressed by him. We don't have many men on <laughs> our podcast. And what I love about Dr. Garrett is that he is a champion for women and women's gynecological health and trying to break the stigma, advocating for us for better access to products. I I just loved him. (laughs) Yeah, and I really love that he didn't hold back any punches. Like he told the absolute truth um, about what we need as consumers to know about, you know, everything from, you know, how women's products have been treated by the FDA and even Congress and, you know, the the lack of accessibilities and why we are being given all these Band-Aid solutions instead of a proper fix. Yes. So um, have a listen to Dr. Nathan Garrett. Dr. Garrett, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, we're super excited to have you. Uh, Jackie and I talk a lot about the need for greater access to sexual and reproductive health products and services. Um, we've recently noticed an influx in products and services for women in menopause. And although we're really happy we that you know there's more products out there for us, it brought up a ton of questions. So we're really excited for you to navigate this topic for us. But more importantly, um, before we kind of dig into that, we know that um, as a, a pelvic floor surgeon, uh, a urogynecologist, um, like you are very familiar with the vagina and all of the things associated with this. And we've covered a lot of topics around the vagina, urogenital health issues, Uh, sexual issues that women have associated with menopause. But the one thing that we actually haven't covered is aesthetic gynecology. So we're wondering if you could just tell us a little bit more about what's involved with that and and the typical conditions that um, you're sort of used to seeing in this area. Sure. Um, Well, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, to 
to just kind of finish my my background so people understand where I'm coming from. I'm a triple board certified urogynecologist um, and pelvic reconstructive surgeon. Um, and I have, we have a large pelvic floor center, um, uh, where I practice in Virginia. Um, and, uh, does I, I focus on, uh, aesthetic and, and, uh, functional reconstruction in terms of surgery, but then also uh, a lot in terms of sexual wellness and non-surgical uh, therapies for, uh, menopause and, and sexual function as well as, uh, urinary bowel uh, function as well. Um, so yeah, to your point, um, aesthetic gynecology, uh, is, um, becoming, uh, more and more, um, uh, sought after. Um, if you look at, uh, search, uh, rates on, on Google and other websites that offer aesthetic services, this is some of the highest, uh, searched items because women, um, have, uh, a lot of concerns and issues uh, in this area, and it's a very uncomfortable area to, to talk about, so they often search online. Um, and unfortunately, what that does is it lends itself to a lot of potential for misinformation and to have the conversation hijacked by people that may not have uh, women's best interests in mind. Um, so, uh, you know, aesthetic gynecology primarily focuses on... Uh, either uh, reconstructing uh, the pelvis uh, to compensate for damage during childbirth. Uh, that's probably the most common thing uh, mm -hmm. that we deal with. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not 90210. Um, uh, <laughs> Making a time. pretty vagina. Well, that, that, that is certainly part of it. But <laughs> if, if, if you ask most women who are getting this done, that's not why. Uh, the reasons why is is primarily for function and for confidence, mm -hmm. um, and uh, um, that is extremely important. You know, just like people have things done to the rest of their body, breast augmentation, or um, you know, even just exercise, uh, improving uh, the way that you look, the way that you function is important for your confidence, and this isn't any different. Um, there's still a lot of stigma attached to this area. And mm -hmm. even within our field, uh, many physicians are still very uncomfortable with the idea of uh, physically changing the appearance of this area. But the reality is, is, is uh, women's pelvises go through enormous changes throughout the course of their lives in terms of mm -hmm. uh, pregnancy and childbirth and menopause and uh, hormone fluctuations associated with that. So the changes to the vulva, the outside tissue and the vagina can be um, radical in terms of size change and pigment change. Um, and then also damage to the muscles, connective tissue and nerves, particularly with vaginal childbirth um, can, can lead to, you know, both uh, significant sexual problems, other functional problems like bladder and bowel control, pain with sex, mm -hmm. pain in general. Yeah. And so, um, feeling comfortable addressing this if you're having these problems and knowing where to go to go to the right people. So either uh, urogynecologists like me or gynecologists, urologists that focus on this area um, and understand both the anatomy in terms of aesthetics and also function mm -hmm. um, in terms of what could be done is, is critically important. So what are some of the typical conditions that you see women struggling with? Well, if we're staying in the uh, aesthetic uh, yeah. realm now, mm -hmm. um, the most common one actually is, is laxity. Um, so losing tone uh, in the vagina that uh, leads to the appearance of, of just, you know, loss of tight tissue or a less youthful appearance and then functionally often leads to loss of sensation during sex because there's no pressure uh, mm, being generated right. with your partner. Um, so the most um, common procedure we perform actually is called a vaginoplasty, which is reconstructing the connective tissue and muscle um, and skin around the vagina to restore to essentially what would be considered kind of pre-baby uh, status. Um, and then in addition to that, labiaplasties or labial reconstruction um, is also very common. 
so the, the labia, particularly the labia minora or the inner lips of the vagina often uh, can change with puberty or change with uh, the high hormone environment in pregnancy or later in life um, and uh, can lead women to be self-conscious about it or even mm -hmm. get to the point where there's functional issues in terms of clothing or sexual function. Um, and uh, so uh, reconstructing or reducing, uh, tightening the labia is also very common. This is so interesting to me simply because I imagine a lot of women listening to this right now are suffering in silence, right? Like it's not even, I, I mean, obviously a lot of what, I mean, and I'd like to call it trauma because it really is when you're, you know, childbirth in particular trauma. Yeah, uh, is trauma to that area. And some have very easy <laughs> vaginal births, others don't, but regardless, it's, it's a pretty big deal <laughs> what's happening down there. And not only are we left with um, pelvic health issues related to that and other gynecological issues that may relate to pelvic health issues, but, but even just from, you know, a confidence perspective, um, and knowing that, you know, that there, there actually is some help out there for women who may be struggling with, you know, aesthetically things that may not appear as they used to be and, and might actually be really self-conscious about that. I, I had no idea that, that these kind of options were out there, you know? So I've heard of the Toronto Trim which I think is exactly what you're saying. <laughs> it's it's called the Toronto Trim. And I'm not going to lie, when I heard about it, I was like, well, who cares that much? And who's looking down there? And also, you know, a lot of women, as they get into menopause, they, they've been married for a long time. They're probably not thinking about rejuvenating. But, you know, also with menopause, there's a high divorce rate. So if you're back on the market, you might want to look at doing a little bit of rejuvenation. But it is... It is something I think is so stigmatic. Like if you, like you had said, like you, you work out, you can do breast implants, you can do fake eyelashes and collagen and Botox, but God forbid you, you do anything to your vagina. It seems like a bit weird, doesn't it? The way we treat it. I mean, not, not the way I feel. <laughs> yes. And in, in our culture and, you know, American culture and Canadian culture are very similar in that respect. And that it's, it's kind of, British and and origins, um, and therefore maybe a bit prudish, <laughs> um, uptight. <laughs> but yes, a little uptight still. Um, maybe less so than we used to be, but but still compared to the rest of the world, um, uh, probably a bit a bit um, closed. Um, and uh, because these therapies aren't well known, because these specialties aren't well known, and and unfortunately because women are frequently burned with bad information uh, and, and bad products. Um, there's a lot of wariness or avoidance um, out there. Um, but uh, there's no need to, to feel that way. The, the success rate for these procedures is extraordinarily high. They're extremely safe. You know, the procedures I was just talking about can be done in our surgical center in our office. You don't have to go into the hospital. Uh, people walk in, people walk out. Uh, the recoveries. Um, very minimal. And then for lesser, for lesser um, degrees of the same issues, either laxity or redundancy in the outside tissue or uh, changes in the uh, tissue associated with menopause, such as uh, thinning of the, uh, the vaginal tissue called vaginal atrophy, or the newer term is genitourinary syndrome of menopause, mm -hmm. which is too difficult for any normal person to say. <laughs> Yes, I thank you many times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's an unfortunate. It, it, neither neither term is great, but uh, it is what it is. Um, and uh, we have we have non-surgical options too, like uh, lasers and radiofrequency therapy that can tighten the tissue or improve tissue quality um, without any surgery. Uh, so no recovery at all, no pain. Um, and they're extremely successful. So th there's all range of options um, depending on uh, expectations um, and uh, on the degree of the problem. Um, and really finding a, a person who can give you appropriate 
counseling uh, and has the skill set to give you uh, good outcomes um, and honest opinions um, is is really what's necessary to and obviously the tools to get it done. But that's necessary. And that's unfortunately still hard to find. Well, I think um, that actually leads us into why we really wanted to talk to you is because, you know, as as Ramona might have mentioned, there is um, women have been dismissed and ignored for so long in healthcare, And um, like we said, we didn't know that these procedures existed. They weren't even really an option that we knew about 10 years ago. But um, the great news is there are products and services coming to market that will help us. But the bad news is it is a bit like the snake oil salesman. Um, as you had said earlier, um, you know, how can we trust? Like some people are selling to us, but are they selling to us because they have our best interests at heart or are they selling to us because they're trying to get into our pockets? The latter, most of the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, this is an enormous untapped market. um, And that is something that is not lost on um, either big pharma or or, uh, device manufacturers or startup companies trying to come out with devices. Um, One in three uh, women um, in the United States and Canada will be symptomatically incontinent over the course of their lives. You're talking, you know, hundreds of millions of women, um, uh, everyone will go through menopause and our population is aging. Um, so the rates of, uh, women going through menopause every day is astronomical in North America. Um, and, uh, the desire to maintain uh, good pelvic function in terms of sexual function, bladder, bowel function, because people don't want to be held back we have a healthier, older population now, um, there's a drive to, to maintain it. And, and the reality is without uh, medical science, we are uh, programmed to die around 40 years old. So a- after that period of time, we have to do things to keep going. Uh, right. So we're, we need, we need, we need our band-aids, but you know, it's a question of which ones. Um mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, the, I mean, if you go to the aisle um, in, the, in the pharmacy, you know how many incontinence products and how many um, uh, um, hygiene products uh, there are. Some are okay, some are not. There's very little oversight into, uh, into that. Um, and that gets even worse once you get into uh, sexual function or more sophisticated devices, particularly in the home market. Um, and, you know, one of our uh, goals, and, I, and I, have a, I have a separate company apart from my practice called the Intimate Wellness Institute, um, which focuses on, on both teaching on these uh, uh, issues and also advocating for women on these issues, which we touched on before, uh, to try to sort through this. Um, That's amazing. And, um, uh, you know, we're, we're making some progress, uh, but, but there's certainly a lot of obstacles. So um, I have a question. You had said earlier that there are people who are coming to market with products, services that don't have our best interests in mind. And I know you're saying that you're probably echoing exactly what every woman feels. Oh, you know, they're, they're trying to get money and it's sort of corporate greed. It's not really about coming to market with something that they really feel is going to help us. And I think our concern and is that, you know, when it comes to like urinal incontinence, I think that society is trying to keep us peeing our pants because they have put so much time and money into, to products, packaging and marketing um, to support urinary incontinence, like pads and, you know, other solutions so that when you do, your pants, you, you go to their products, but really that's just a bandaid. And what we really want is a fix. And, and what we're learning through sort of pelvic floor physio and, and some other things we've looked into is there is a fix, but why is it so buried? Well, you have to think about who has the biggest microphone. Um, <laughs> and the biggest microphone yeah. is held by uh, big pharma. 
And so the products that people are most aware about are uh, pills, medications. So um, everybody knows the commercials for, um, you know, having to run to the bathroom quickly and, and things yeah. like that. Um, but we know from solid data that, that um, overactive bladder medications are barely better than placebo um, and have wow. a lot of side effects. And um, depending on where you are and what your insurance is like can be enormously expensive. Um, and so they're certainly not a, a miracle uh, for, for this type of uh, condition. And then hygiene products, if anything, um, purely from a medical standpoint, are actually bad for you. Um, they prevent um, a good circulation of air uh, into that part of the body. Uh, they'll increase your risk of vaginal infections, uh, uh, groin infections, uh, urinary tract infections. And so um, obviously in some situations they're necessary in order to mm -hmm. go out in public, but, uh, but they shouldn't be considered the answer. Um, you know, it's gone so far that people are marketing sexy incontinence underwear now, right? Which, yeah. Uh, yeah. So sorry. you can look sexy when you pee your pants? It, like it, it, it's just not possible. No, <laughs> so, it's not possible. Uh, you know, sexy uh, and urinary yeah, incontinence don't go not, together. It, it's not a thing. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, uh, you know, so, yeah, so they're, uh, so these are big companies with, with large marketing uh, budgets that, that can, that can push their products out there that people are aware of. Um, and look for, like you said, a Band-Aid rather than an actual fix. Uh, if you look at some numbers, actually, uh, it's estimated that it costs about $3,000 to manage urinary incontinence a year. That includes buying pads and changes mm -hmm. of clothing and all the things that, that people have to do. And for that same amount of money, um, depending on the type and degree of incontinence you have, you can have an in-office procedure that actually cures it um, once. Uh, so, uh, the, you know, both, both the quality of life issues and the economics are highly in favor of actually fixing the problem, not living with the problem. Right. Um, you had mentioned in our initial conversation before we started the podcast that a woman's health or sorry, in July, 2019, the FDA issued a warning about vaginal laser therapy. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Is it effective? And why would the FDA wish issue a warning about it if it is? Yeah, so just to, just to be clear on what the FDA issued a, a warning on, it was a warning to uh, manufacturers to stay within their indications. So not to market outside of their specific indications. Um, but that still speaks to the restrictive nature and paternalistic nature that the FDA has had towards these products because they have made it near impossible to get them approved. Um, that's actually different than Health Canada. Health Canada has actually approved these with specific indications. Um, so uh, th this concept of using energy-based therapy, either laser or radiofrequency therapy to improve the vaginal tissue, either for menopausal changes or incontinence or sexual uh, dysfunction and pain, as well as a number of other issues, um, uh, started um, being developed around 2015, 2016. Um, at this stage, uh, we have um, very high quality randomized prospective studies over multiple years. Uh, and millions and millions of women treated with these procedures over the globe um, with uh, excellent outcomes and, and nearly no adverse events reported mm -hmm. um, at all. Uh, so these procedures are extremely effective, extremely safe. Um, a study that I did with one of the uh, um, uh, devices uh, allowed it to get approved in Health Canada for incontinence and, and menopause. Um, uh, so it does have indications there, um, uh, but in the United States, that, that has not uh, been the case. Uh, and they, they keep pushing the bar higher and higher um, and, uh, and also have uh, this very shrill um, attitude towards it. So, so when that 2019 um, uh, concern was raised, uh, it was done so in a very public fashion so the the head of the fda at the time 
uh, had a, at a news conference and uh, you know, called everybody together and said they're, you know, they're doing this to protect women um, and even said that treating women with breast cancer with this treatment was egregious. That was the exact word that was used, which in fact, um, women with breast cancer can't use estrogen uh, and don't have the other options to treat these types of conditions. And further, the hypocrisy is, is that in the wake of the Women's Health Initiative uh, study, most of the estrogens that are available on the market are black boxed by the FDA, meaning that they have a very strict warning on their risks. And so they were putting down a procedure that has been shown to be extremely effective have essentially no risks uh, and and virtually no recovery to it, uh, and, and instead recommend using a, a product that they black boxed themselves. So there's an enormous hypocrisy there. Um, Sounds if, a little bit um, counterproductive. If, well, if, if one if one is um, if one is skeptical, one might think that big pharma might have been in their ear uh, hmm. pushing that thought. Well, we think um, one is skeptical. Okay, um, but uh, but nonetheless, the, the 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 reality is that these procedures are extremely safe, extremely effective, and millions and millions of women have already benefited from them. So there's no need to be um, afraid of getting them done. So if this was um, a product or service directed to men with the same sort of uh, issues, like discomfort, lack of sex, et cetera. Do you think the FDA would have pushed as hard as well to warn them? Uh, history would say otherwise. Uh, so and a great example um, is uh, Viagra. Um, so when, uh, well, Viagra was discovered sort of by accident. It was intended to be an antihypertensive uh, drug for high blood pressure. Um, and the side effect of improving erectile dysfunction was um, um, just noticed um, as they were studying it for being a blood pressure medication. Um, but uh, obviously then they realized that, you know, wow, we got the great drug here. Um, but from the point of, of patent of the drug for that purpose to its full approval, uh, through Congress, um, through the FDA was eight months, which um, if, if you know anything about uh, how the FDA works or, or the, the U.S. federal government works, that's astoundingly fast. Um, and uh, there was very little oversight into uh, how it got onto the market. Um, the first drug uh, that was approved for women um, uh, this was uh, not all that long ago, about uh, five, six years ago, um, had a very different story. Uh, so this drug took eight years to get onto the market. Two pharmaceutical companies gave up on doing it because it was too expensive to try to get it approved through uh, regulatory channels, despite the side effect profile being relatively equivalent to Viagra in terms of risks. Um, and finally required a gender bias lawsuit by, by the pharmaceutical company that did get it approved uh, to get it approved. But even then, uh, the government required that any providing uh, prescriber get specialized training on the medication. So you had to take an online test to, and, and give your credentials um, uh, and it was set at a price point that, that is, is basically out of reach for uh, most people. Um, so there's still enormous bias uh, there. Um, and, and the idea, the justification, and this also flows into social media and other media channels, which we could certainly talk about, is that in order, uh, it's all based on this concept of, of the need for uh, function for procreation. And that, and that is, so if a man can't get an erection, they can't have intercourse to procreate, whereas women don't need necessarily good function to be able to accomplish that. So that's the, that's the justification that's often used, oh uh, which, which, uh, you know, as uh, in, in this day and age, we all know is absolutely ridiculous. But, mm -hmm. but I think that's, that's the big thing in this day and age. It doesn't sound like the FDA is in this day and age with us because, 
you know, women look at women who don't choose to have children still enjoy sex. I, I, I mean, we're preaching to the choir here. It's just so ridiculous to think that we are just a vessel for having babies and yet men are running around enjoying the whole thing and we should cater to that and not to, you know, like you have to stay in a marriage. You have to keep things going in a marriage. It's in everyone's best interest to keep both parties in a comfortable, safe and enjoyable place. Yeah, but outside of that, even if we weren't even to look at just those particular (laughs) points, it is like a multi-billion dollar industry if they were actually smart enough to invest in us, like to find solutions for us. It's like a huge demographic that they're completely cutting out of the market. And when they, when there is stuff coming to market, like you say, when you're talking about laser therapy, Jackie and I have both experience laser therapy. I mean, part of what we do on our podcast is to be able to share any sort of treatment solutions that we come upon that may be useful to our listeners. And sometimes they're unconventional. And laser therapy, yes, there's been um, some stuff in the news where women are unsure of whether or not it's safe. I'm a breast cancer survivor. I cannot take hormones. Um, so I'm always looking for alternative therapies. I have um, vaginal atrophy. I had to have my ovaries removed at an early age at like 39. So this is something that has affected my my well-being <laughs> as a woman, right? Being so young. And so when we when we were researching different options for us, I've done vaginal laser therapy. It did help me, but we did read the article about the FDA not approving it and have even read further very interesting blog posts from a very um, well-known gynecologist who's constantly harping about how it's not FDA approved and these doctors who are using this particular treatment are you know, duping you. And so there's a lot of mixed messages for women. And for me, I think as long as I've educated myself and talked to the right healthcare professional and did my own research and I wanted to try it, that's my own prerogative. But I guess what's frustrating for me and other women out there is like, we don't, we don't know what types of questions we should ask. We don't know what red flags we should be looking for to ensure that we're still safe and that we're like we're trying to be aware of what's out there and and be safe but sometimes we just don't know like what we should be looking out for do you have like any advice you could impart on us yeah um so uh you know the motivations unfortunately for a lot of those types of attitudes can be varied Um, sometimes they're actually altruistic and and maybe um and in, in my you know, certainly my strong opinion in that particular one would be misguided, but but maybe altruistic. Um, but um, you know, my first my first um, uh, thing to say would be do your research and, and and look at the evidence. So if you if you look at the evidence for vaginal laser therapy, it's overwhelmingly in favor of it. We you know look, look at the papers. Uh, you know that's beyond the sophistication of, of most patients, but um, you know but. For somebody like you who's done this, you know, if you're getting mixed messages, you know, look at the look at the evidence, or feel comfortable questioning uh, the person, your, your healthcare provider that you're talking to about why they think that the way they do. Oftentimes, in our in our line of work, uh, we'll say things as if they're you know the word of God or edicts, right? And mm-hmm. and that can be very intimidating for patients. Um, to to question um but if you hear something that doesn't make sense or isn't consistent with uh, what you've heard in other realms ask them why they think that way and if they can't give you a good answer leave go get someone else uh Mm -hmm. you know uh because uh, they they then if 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 the person taking care of you can't give you an explanation as to why they're doing what they're doing or think the way they think, then, then they shouldn't be doing it. 
Um, I think the big thing is we hear, well, it's not FDA approved. Um, but, you know, I guess our question on that is the big issue women, I think, have around this whole concern is, you know, we can't afford, most of us can't afford uh, surgery or certain treatments because they are so highly priced. And even when Ramona and I tried the Mona Lisa Touch, it, it was great, but we were both saying, like, who can afford this? And so, and most of them in Canada here are not covered maybe by our benefits if we have benefits. So when we see products come to market that promise to help us um, with urinary incontinence without having to do the surgery, that's that's more accessible for us. And what's unfair about it is, you know, um, just because it's accessible, we sort of, we believe the marketing. We see products coming that are promising to stop us from peeing our pants and, you know, embarrassing situations, but, Maybe they have Bluetooth. Maybe someone like Ramona shouldn't use Bluetooth. And maybe they're not even vetted by the FDA. Maybe they're put under a different um, category, like health and wellness or something, so they can skirt all the safety. Like, how as a consumer do you know? Well, that, that to some extent is true. Um, that you, one thing uh, to understand about the FDA, the FDA's uh, job is to oversee companies. Um, and products made by companies, not uh, physicians or healthcare providers, or to uh, impose upon a healthcare provider uh, what therapies are appropriate. Um, that is the job of uh, your training, uh, as well as um, your uh, medical board in your area, things like that, if you're going outside of the your, the scope of, of what's considered reasonable practice. So the FDA's purview in, in this area in terms of actually performing a procedure doesn't exist. Um, it's, it's more to aimed at the companies to say, well, our product specifically treats um, um, menopausal symptoms or atrophy. Um, not, uh, not that a physician can't uh, look at the technology and decide that this is a, a reasonable and efficacious uh, product to use. Uh, so there, it's two different channels, which, you know, from a consumer standpoint, it would be incredibly difficult to understand, but, but that is, that's the truth. Um, and so something being FDA approved uh, while comforting um, isn't necessarily the end all be all. Um, and so if, if something makes sense, um, so, uh, you know, you mentioned the vaginal laser, there's, there's, um, the one you had is, is sort of the first one that was out there. There's, there's more sophisticated ones that are out there now that, um, are probably, uh, in fact, I know are more, are more effective. Um, but, um, but, you know, there are, high quality study showing good outcomes and no adverse events um, is, is more powerful than, than an FDA uh, approval. Uh, what the FDA approval uh, does is it, is it ensures that those types of studies were done, but if they've been done, then you should feel comfortable uh, with it. Um, the other thing you mentioned is, is kind of manipulating the types of approval. So there, uh, that's very common in the home uh, device uh, world, or even some of the devices being used in offices, mm -hmm. uh, particularly for improvement in sexual function. So uh, there are some devices out there now uh, using um, uh, different types of energy uh, that manage to get their approval as a massage device, but they're marketing themselves as approved uh, without saying how. Um, and so, yeah, that, uh, you know, that's an issue that um, like, as a, as a the company I have, we've called we've called these companies out on it, um, and uh, right. challenged them to actually get real data, uh, which they will usually refuse because they don't want to mm -hmm. spend the money. Um, uh, but um, oh, that's interesting but, then, right? Because like it's kind of like you know we're looking we're being told to not use certain products because they're not FDA approved, but then there are some products that be that are being marketed to us that are FDA approved, but not, not for, what <laughs> not for the function. That, for. <laughs> that's right. right. So yeah, it is pretty confusing. Yeah. Wow. Well, How's a girl to know? Well, ultimately you have to know by having, you need, you need a, a, 
a, a healthcare provider who is your partner in this. Um, That's right. Uh, because you can't you can't look at a product on Amazon uh, and mm-hmm. know uh, if it's going to be truly helpful or not. The likelihood is not going to be harmful, um, but uh, but how helpful it is uh, can can vary, and oftentimes things can look very similar and have very similar names and not necessarily be the same thing either. Um, so, you know, so finding, um, a healthcare, uh, a person who actually has expertise in intimate wellness and is willing to have these conversations with you and willing to guide you, uh, in terms of one, understanding your symptoms. Uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how many patients I have who come in, who've been told they have all these different conditions and never had an exam. Right. Um, and, you know, how, how can you know that? Right. Um, I, I know my x-ray vision isn't particularly good. So, <laughs> uh, um, so uh, you know, you, you have to have somebody willing to do the work with you and then guide you um, and be your own advocate. Um, if something sounds too good to be true, it, it probably is. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the famous David Letterman joke is, is he was checking out of the supermarket and he sees an ad on the newspaper that says, you know, lose weight without diet and exercise. And then he said, well, that just leaves disease. Um, that's right and i mean i think this is a really good message for our listeners because hearing you talk about this subject and knowing that i think you know for us it almost needs to be part of our healthcare regime when when you hit a certain age and and you start um experiencing um some of these symptoms or or issues uh related to uh, Euro gyne- uh, genital health and sexual well-being and all of those things. I think it's almost like you know how you go see a massage therapist or you go see a chiropractor. Like maybe it's time to that we all really take a step back and look and think about whether or not having someone who practices in this type of medicine be part of our healthcare team. Right. So that when you're experiencing this stuff, you're getting the information firsthand from a professional who's working down there every single day, knows the products that are safe for us to use, but also knows some of the conditions that maybe aren't so serious that you might be able to navigate without any any invasive type of um, surgeries or or medications or anything like that. Most of them would fall into that category. You know, the vast majority of them can be treated conservatively and, and do not require um, uh, surgery or, or a significant intervention. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, to your point, um, the, our field is relatively new, but it's becoming better known. And, um, uh, and as we get more solutions that are effective, uh, that also helps. Uh, we all know that. Uh, you don't want to ask a question if you don't have uh, a, a solution, right? Uh, don't, don't, um, don't. No one wants to get caught in a position where they find out about a problem that they don't have a solution to. But we have a lot of solutions now. Um, uh, but because the market is so ripe and there's such a, such a huge market uh, and a growing market, it is definitely tricky to navigate. Um, and so. Yeah, getting getting somebody with expertise who's willing to take the time and and uh, and treat this appropriately is is critically important. I mean, you're, you're the classic example of somebody who was put into a hypoestrogenic state at a relatively young age, um, and who has very limited options in terms of treating because the the traditional treatment would be estrogen cream. That's the that's sort of mm-hmm. the, the basic run of the mill treatment, but that's not an option for you. Yeah. Um, and uh, oftentimes doesn't work in people that it, it is an option for. The, the rate of absorption of, of the estrogen cream is only about 40%. Um, so, um, so, you know, not just writing it off, which often is the case. Well, I'm sorry, you know, that's not an option for you. Oh, well, 
uh, you know, that at, at 40 years old, not being able to be comfortably sexually active with your partner is it's just not an option that will ruin your relationship. Inevitably. Exactly. And that's exactly what I was told, doctor. Like I literally was like, yeah, well, you can't take hormones. So sorry. Use some, use some, uh, lube and off you go. That was fantastic. The, they treated the breast cancer and that's, that's amazing. And, and you're here. So that's terrific. Right. But life goes on. And uh, if there are options uh, that allow you to, you know, to have uh, an enjoyable intimate relationship, that's, that is extremely important. Uh, One thing I always, when I'm teaching about this, I say we have a lot of friends, um, uh, but we don't have a lot of intimate partners, or at least most of us don't. And um, uh, and there's something fundamentally different about an intimate relationship um, uh, from a friendship. And and if you don't have that component to it, uh, it will erode. Um, it, you know, it may happen quickly, it may happen slowly, but it will erode, um, and that's inevitable. Um, and so, uh, you know, doing simple things that are safe. Uh, uh, to prevent that can make an enormous difference in someone's life, even just outside of sexual function. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, well, I just have one more question for you. And that's, you know, as this tends seems to be like a, a new field, like how, how do women find health practitioners like you in North America? Like, how can we navigate? Like, is this something that our GP can refer to, make a referral for us? Is there somewhere that we can, like, online that we can navigate to find someone in our area? Like, I think this is going to be something that particularly even with this podcast, I think it's going to stir up a lot of emotions for women. And I think, women are going to start to realize this could actually really help them. So finding the right people to support them would be key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the first thing is, is having the confidence uh, to actually do it. Um, so um, because of all the reasons that we've gone over tonight, uh, women do not feel empowered to seek help in these areas. Um, uh, they're, they're embarrassed. Uh, they're self-shamed. They're, Shamed by, you know, by institutions, by insurance companies, by uh, society, mm-hmm. um, and then also there's just such a a, um, a mess of information out there. It becomes very intimidating to to seek care. But know that there are people that know what they're doing that do care about this and and know how to help you. So if you go into it with that idea don't get turned away by the first doctor that you see and says, well, you got to live with it. You don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so having the confidence to know that that is the case allows you to say, okay, well, they didn't work out. I'm going to go f- find somebody else or do some other research online or whatever you do to find the right person. Um, in terms of resources, um, the, the, uh, there's no perfect resource uh, right now. Uh, there are some societies that, that can help. So um, uh, the International Urogynecology Association um, is a good society. There's still within our field a variety of, of um, acceptance of these types of problems, but, um, uh, but, but uh, that's a good one. So IUGA.org. Um, and then the American Urogynecologic Society, which is AUGS.org, also um, has uh, good information for women, uh, still relatively conservative. So these newer uh, types of therapies might not be well accepted, but you certainly have highly qualified people uh, that you would be exposed to. Another one is ISHWISH, um, which is the uh, uh, IS, it's got a lot of initials, ISSWCH.com. Uh, hopefully I spelled that right. Um, but, uh, that is a society that specializes in, um, uh, sexual, uh, function, um, still requires some sifting through. And that's one of the reasons I founded the company that I did because I wanted to, uh, transition 
um, sexual health out of the darkness um, and into kind of mainstream health. Um, so treat it just like any other type of medicine. All right, it should be evidence based. It should be clear in discussion. It shouldn't be danced around, and it shouldn't be like have kooky people talking about it. Um, and uh, you're here, <laughs> right? And and so you know that that is you know, what we're trying to do. Um, so our, our website is intimatewellness.com uh, and my website for my practice is iwiva.com. But, um, but you know, finding, and I think you know it when you see it, right? You, you know yeah. if, if, if you're seeing information that actually makes sense and you're getting a sensibility uh, from the people that they actually care and they're actually um, looking at uh, therapies um, that, they're they're moving the ball forward to to try to do better uh, because it has not been treated well in the past. I do think this is going to be this an area where women start to rely more on the word of mouth of other women than doctors or advertisers because this is such a critical um, issue for us. It's it's our health we're playing around with, right? When we buy a device or try a treatment. We don't want to take a chance for it to go wrong and make matters worse. So um, that's you know why we started the podcast. We wanted women to know that for the most part, we've tried these things. We feel they're effective or safe or whatever. I mean, we're obviously not certified to say that, but we can share that info with other women and it's up to them if they want to try it. But, um, you know, like we do get concerned, as we said earlier, with brands coming to market with just key messages and no real research. So that's why this conversation with you was so critical for us tonight, because it has been bothering us. You know, we don't know what to believe. And, and Ramona and I come from 20 years in advertising. So we know yeah. sometimes we are we are being fed <laughs> a spoonful. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, it I mean, that's, that's absolutely a concern. Um, you know, word of mouth is, is great. Um, a, a lot of people who come to my practice, a large portion are, are word of mouth. And I always take those as the best referrals because that mm -hmm. shows that you actually help somebody um, and they were happy with what you did. Um, and I, I would caution to balance that with, with experts um, because yeah. there are aspects um, that um, that um, lay people just won't necessarily under, understand. So, so a, a balanced approach of trusted people, trusted friends, and um, and research and and finding the right healthcare partner is is really what has to be done. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Corette, for your for sharing your wisdom with us and for all that you're doing for women's health and advocating for us. We we're just so grateful that you shared your time with us tonight. Thanks for having me.